You're listening to the Viral Volley Podcast Podcast. Now here's your host, Rob, on the mic. Hey everyone, uh, welcome to College Volleyball Weekly on the Viral Volley Podcast and Vodcast. And I would have a very special episode here. We'd have a few members of the ABCA All-America Committee, which all three of the guys on the podcast just happened to be on that committee. So it worked out perfect with uh, Dan Friend of Lewis being the chair. Um, and being that it was just released yesterday, I wanted to get their thoughts on the whole process and um you know, just what, what their thoughts on this whole season has been in regards to being able to select players. So um, let's start by this. Um, so what has what, what was the process like during this pandemic season to even select a team? And we'll start with you, Dan, friend of Lewis. Yeah, so typically what happened, there's 11 people on the committee, uh, two coaches from each conference representation. So there's five conferences uh, and then one representation from the independents. Uh, so we've, we've slowly increased that committee over the years to kind of get some representation from each conference. And so and uh, a lot of times what happens is I lead off by contacting all those coaches and, you know, we've got some new guys this year and there's conversations about how the process goes and what's going on with that and uh, trying to fill them in and trying to make sure they're watching, especially their conference, especially in this year, because it was there was no cross conference play like there has been in the past. And so you know, certainly relying on the guys within their own conference when we started to talk about individual players from that standpoint. And then kind of what happens is there's a couple of different statistical things, like you get all the stats uh, from the regular season that are loaded up from the nominations, but they also have ranked stats, stats overall, uh, and then sometimes you'll have stats that are just division one, division two opponents minus any NAI or D3 or things like that. And so there's actually three categories that are all put together and created on this spreadsheet that the ABCA does for us, which is really nice. And then the guy, all the coaches also have the ability to go to volume metrics because one that you're able to look in on that. And you can look at and filter some of those stats on top of the video that we have through volume metrics that allows you like, Hey, if I want to go watch a player that I haven't played against, so I can try and get a little better assessment, even though I may not be able to. And what ends up happening is that's kind of all the information that is giving to these coaches. Uh, then the coaches are also given a, a spreadsheet that allows them to rank players. Uh, they rank those players and turn those spreadsheets back in. Uh, and then basically uh, Brad from the ABCA compiles all that work for us, which is really great. Uh, and then when the committee goes to meet, we have these numbers that are associated with uh, all the players in ranked order in positions uh, of how they've been evaluated by all these coaches. And then what we do is we look at that as a committee and start to sift through that. And some are easy. Uh, and then there's some that are really difficult. And then you're trying to find a break point between first and second team, uh, second team and honorable mention. And just in ideally, and this is something we'll probably talk about is there's only 10 first team, 10 second team. And then the honorable mention tends to be somewhere between 20 and 25. And uh, we really wanted to get that number up to 12 first team and 12 second team, but the process was that was we had to vote on that this year to make it happen for next year. We couldn't go ahead and do it for this year. And so, so far that's been clear. It's got a, a one or two other steps, but that'll be a nice thing for the next year is you'll expand that first and second team and still have the honorable mention, which thank God we have the honorable mention because five or six years ago, we didn't even have that. Uh, and there's so many guys not even getting recognized with that that are such talented players. And so, but 
I think I covered most of it, right, Dave and Jay? I think, you know, that kind of gives you the synopsis of uh, kind of how a lot of that goes in terms of the organization piece and everything. And so, we'll yeah, and uh, I'm going to just add on to what Dan was saying. You know, the ABCA also sends out, I think it was compiled uh, based on position. Here's the statistical measures that these people have been around. Is that is that correct, Dan? We got that email as well. And um, so that being a first time uh, person on the committee, that gave me some indication on, you know, what's what's the norm, you know, where is somebody ex exceedingly high, where uh, somebody a little bit lower, but, you know, there's no perfect science in terms of where those where those stats are because there's you know for an opposite or an outside hitter there's five or six different things that they're doing um and then like dan said there's a few different categories you know do you value yeah these players against ranked teams do you look at all division one division two do you just look at their entire stats so uh there were a few different things like that yeah yeah and i and i've been on the committee uh before and you know, this year is obviously a lot different than any other year because there is no cross-pollination. There's no ability for us to see how East Coast versus West Coast, how Midwest versus West Coast, how everybody versus everybody looks. So, you know, you get a lot of people out there that, you know, they, they, they have a bias about, about the West Coast. You know, the West Coast, they think, is the best conference in the country every year, either the MPSF or the Big West, and that everybody else is kind of an also right? And that's not true. You know, the coaches around the country know – that there's good volleyball being played east of the Rockies. And, you know, it, it, it also rings true that a lot of these coaches, you know, we're, we're pretty involved with watching video from around the country, uh, whether for personal reasons or just, you know, we're scouting opponents, whatever the case is. When you look at the spreadsheet, there's very, uh, there's a lot, uh, a lot of common numbers across the boards and there's very little large discrepancies. You know, the numbers are ranked one through four. One meaning this is an absolute all-American. We need to keep this person up high. Two means, you know, yeah, kind of should be in the discussion. Three means could be second team, maybe honorable mention. And four is, yeah, probably not a mention. And across the board, there are very little ones and fours in the same line, in the same category. We're all pretty well versed in, in keeping everything pretty close. And we don't, we don't communicate much between us you know maybe i don't know about one guy from maybe dan's conference and so i'll call dan or i'll call another coach from the conference and say hey you know tell me what you think about this kid and then i make a, a judgment value based upon what i'm hearing from them but it's not it's not like we are, are playing favorites trying to boost our conferences up the, the the people are who they are and you know there are a lot of guys on the honorable mention that should be on second team or a couple guys on second team that could have been on first team. There's a lot of guys that were left off the list. They could have at least been honorable mention, but we are only given so much of a window. I mean, it's like volleyball. You got 20 guys on your team. I can only play six. So I got to pick what I think are the best six for that position or for that day and roll with it. And so I think that's part of the folklore. I think it's part of the discussion. It's okay to have the discussion about, man, this kid should have been here and this kid should have been here and here's some stats and blah, blah, blah. But in the grand scheme of things, I think we got it pretty close. Yeah. You know, I was looking at it and I wanted to ask just from a lay person standpoint, but um, to a certain degree, is the eye test applied in your discussions? Now, are you in person, Zoom in this age, but do you utilize the eye test? Do you say, hey, coach so-and-so, check out the video on this. His name's been showing up pretty regularly in the season, check out this, you know, particular match in, does that play at all into it? 
Well, he had to this year to a point. Um, and I think that's kind of where, like, I mean, there'll be a couple players that are from the MPSF that I watched on film and I watched live on TV, like internet broadcasts that I asked Dave about or I asked Sean about. Uh, and and then there was a comparison, like, how did that player play against teams that were better in that conference or how did that player play against teams that were weaker in that conference? Because we didn't have any other cross comparisons. And so and those were some questions that I asked some coaches when I was making some of my rankings because I can do the eyeball test and know, hey, this guy's really good for his team doing this. And then I'm trying to compare him to this guy doing really good for this team in a different conference. And then you're trying to compare those two. At some point, the eyeball test matters, but that becomes my opinion. And then you got to look at the numbers against a talented team and where are the numbers at consistently for that kid. So you eyeball it and Rob, your eyeball opinion about one guy may be a little bit different than mine especially on the guys that are both really good and maybe not elite elite. And they're in that range. And you're like, well, I think he's a little better because of this. And you go, well, I think this guy's a little bit better because of this. But at some point the numbers come down and tell you some things. It's like, if this guy's kill percentage is 540 and this guy's kill percentage is 460 uh, and they're playing the best teams in their conference. When you do that, you got to go with the guy that's hitting the kill percentage on 560 because I don't have any other cross pollination to go with. And so you're trying to do the best you can in terms of some of that stuff. Yeah. So. Yep. And, and Rob, there's, I mean, me and Dan, even we're talking about yesterday, we were down in the lobby of the hotel and just even amongst coaches, you have different things that you value, you know, like I would, I would tend to, to favor guys with, with some good arms that could just blast at the ball. Uh, and Dan was bringing up a good point about, you know, the ball control aspect an outside hitter that has to pass and do a few more things. Like there's no, no magic formula for that. Um, and then the hardest one for me, just, you know, in the honor of transparency, I, I feel like I, we could probably evaluate or I could evaluate middles, outsides, opposites pretty well. The hardest one for me is setters and liberals because, you know, one of the metrics that we look at is how many times we aced, but a lot of times the better liberals are passing more court, you know? So I remember watching BYU in, in Hawaii and Gage uh, was the first team All-American this year. And this was last year that they were playing. Gage is passing half the court against Gabby. I would pass with five against Gabby if I could. And he's over there passing half the court and he gets aced two or three times. But it's like, yeah, Hawaii's saying that's our best pass. We're going to try to get him out there and pass the ball. So, um, yeah, those those are the two hardest ones for me, the setter and the libero, because I think we all know as volleyball coaches, those two positions do so many things for those teams that aren't necessarily showing up on the stats. And for a setter to just throw up assists per set, you know, for me, if you're on a good team that can score points in other ways, then maybe your assist percent isn't that high, you know, because your team's out back there, you know, blocking some balls or scoring some points on aces or, or doing some different things. So those are the two hardest ones for me to evaluate. Yeah. I think that's where that eyeball test is part of the stats. So like Dave talks about, hey, Gage is passing half the court. Are we recognizing that? So maybe his, his uh, receiving errors are up compared to somebody else where that they would be a little bit lower in terms of that. And so that's, I think you have to be able to do that. And that's, there's multiple different ways to do that with positions uh, in terms of that. Wow. Well, you know, one of the things I looked at is, you know, at the honorable mention list, you have guys that were first, second team, all Americans in previous years that are on that list, you know, and I say it's just because I, I know off the top of my head, I've seen them, uh, Kyle McCauley, Joel Schneidmiller, Garrett Zoll. And these guys have been playing really well, but again, they had shortened seasons or you know, their teams didn't do as well this year for whatever reason. But um, 
they didn't get a chance to play the cross-pollination matches, which is like, for instance, I know Irvine, they, they prosper playing other teams. They like to go for the best teams in the other conference and build their RPI and their strength of schedule and all that stuff. So, but, um, you know, at what, you know, with, with Kyle McCauley and, and Garrett Zold, Garrett Zold, obviously U.S. national team B team setter. Team, well, it's 2019 is uh, at the North Sake as a starting setter for that. But we know that these guys have talent, um, you know, and the honorable mention is a great way to bring them back into this. But I just feel like the season, just because of the pandemic, we didn't really get to see the best of like these guys go. And, and it's for all of them. It's not to get anyone short on their, their efforts this year, because that, that's a solid team in my eyes. But it just makes you realize that we have a deep pool of talent, and it, it's a tough uh, uh, responsibility to be on that committee. And you and you mentioned deep pool of talent. How many fifth year or sixth year guys did we have stick around? Yeah. I mean, we didn't. It's not like we had a fresh crop of sophomores and juniors that weren't being looked at for these things and had great years and all of a sudden. But you got guys in front that are taking an extra year. I mean, no slam against Coonan, one of the best outside hitters in the country. If he's not back you got a spot for somebody to move up. And that's, that's kind of how that works. And then how do you know that Schneidmiller doesn't take the place of the guy in the second team that moves up to the first team? There's it's a, it's a different strange year. And all these people that are getting so upset about it, like what, what are we, what are we really focusing on? And we're so glad that we even have a season and a championship to talk about. Like we're really going to get that upset about all American list. Come on. Oh my God. Yeah, you sound like Pat. That's exactly what he said. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the other one alike. The other one is the new everyone that was sort of up for newcomer of the year. I think they were all honorable mention list, which tells you how how heavy or how top heavy those those teams are. And there's a reason that veteran teams win championships, right? Just those are better players. Those years of experience, and when we talk about in USA volleyball, right? 27, 28 years old is when our guys start hitting their prime. So if you get guys that are close to that, they're going to beat the teams that have you know 18, 19 year olds. So. Yeah. Doesn't bode well for for our three freshmen tonight, but just saying. <laughs> I was uh, just Rob. I was really thankful to the committee. I think it was like the our championship committee that's trying to select teams, and uh, and we and they had a tough road. They were trying to figure out splinting, you know, splinting hairs when you don't have a lot of information and what are you going to weigh on. And so the the committee for this had the same thing, and we had multiple times where like, hey are we in the best spot? Are we doing this? Where are we at? And that came up. I, I probably asked that question 12, 13 times, at least when we were on this call, because we were trying to do our due diligence, due diligence about selecting these guys. And, uh, and yeah, I just, a lot of credit to everybody that was on that committee and trying to put the work in and doing the best job that they could in terms of that stuff. So. Yeah, no doubt. Well, it's definitely a celebrate the fact that we even had a season, but I mean, I love the fact that they're such great performers this year. I mean, even guys like Dave Spencer Wickens really stepping up this season, you know, names coming up, Bradley Kramer for you, Jay. And then of course, you know, I saw TJ Murray on that list. So there's a name drop for you, Dan. He's an honorable mention this year, but uh, there's some really good uh, athletes on that list. And it, you know, even, oh, you gained the name that was the two-time freshman of the year, Camden Gianni was an honorable mention on here. And he was the second team All-American last year. <laughs> so but uh, with that, let's go into the tournament. We already had the opening round last night. Penn State sweeping Belmont Abbey um, is a first ever tournament appearance for the school history, which is incredible for Belmont, North Carolina. Um, you know, thoughts on the match yesterday? Guys, I imagine you were there and watching in person, some of you, if you're able to. Well, let me go first. First off, I just want to thank Ethan Walker and all the committee members. Um, so back in 14 is when I think it was the first year where they had the 
added the, the at-large and expanded the tournament to six. And then uh, a couple of years after we got to seven and uh, there's been this thing where that the NCAA only maybe recognizes that, that it's the semifinal and final, but Ethan and that group have done a great job of getting everything kind of where the sponsorships up and they're really treating it like a tournament. So for Belmont Abbey, congrats to them for being there, but they got that championship experience this year where sometimes that's a play in game uh, where they're not at the championship site, but because of COVID this year, they got to be a part of the experience and everything that goes with that from eating in the hotel and all that stuff. So it's been really neat to provide that type of experience for these athletes and uh, getting into the match. I thought Belmont Abbey came that first game and was ready to go. And Penn state was trying to settle in a little bit. And, uh, and I thought if Belmont Abbey could have missed a couple less serves and kind of put some pressure uh, towards that end, but then uh, Penn State kind of pulled away. And then you, then you saw Penn State emerge that served really well, hit at a 500 clip, and uh, really kind of took off the next two games uh, to kind of dominate the rest of that match. So, Well, we know you were watching that match very closely, Dan, <laughs> but we'll go into that a little bit later. Anything else to add on that first opening round match, guys? Yeah, I, I think Dan nailed it about the serving part. If you look at the first set stats, Belmont Abbey out hit Penn State. They outdug Penn State. They, I think they had um, uh, a couple more digs than they did. I mean, it's it's Belmont Abbey did a really really nice job. Uh, I think I think maybe the pressure of the moment and Penn State being calm, cool, and collected kind of, you know, they, they kind of just did what they did. And we'll talk about this in the next matches coming up. But you know, kudos to Belmont Abbey. That's pretty cool. And now that you've been there. Now that you know what it feels like, uh, that's really where the next level of progression will come from them. Should they make it again soon? And, and let's let's also remember this. This is the first time since 2017 that Penn State's been in the national championship. Because final we love George final. Mason. No, I'm t- yeah. Well, yeah, but you have Harvard, you have Princeton. I mean, the, the other teams that have made it to, yeah. to those. So that's a big deal. Yep. Uh, Penn State's used to being in the dance, and for Brett Wildman and Bolt Cole Bogner and those guys, this is their first time. That's pretty, uh, that's pretty amazing. Pretty remarkable. Yep. Anything you add, Dave? I'm, I was busy watching Santa Barbara. I didn't realize anybody else other than Santa Barbara was playing in this tournament. <laughs> right. Well, uh, Penn State on the victory goes to 22 and three in the season, which is an amazing uh, record for the season. 16 and two in the EIVA. Cal Fisher, 10 kills, only one air hit 563, three aces. Wildman, nine kills, only two airs hit 438 and Bogner, 30 assists. So, um, our favorite that's why they're both all Americans <laughs> yeah <laughs> but we have to give a shout out to the Belmont Abbey a top performers Andrew Kohut 10 K's and uh, Jay's favorite Italian Matteo Miscelli nine kills 316 and ace and three digs so uh, Penn State moves on to play a team in red who hashtags it flight on and that would be a coach Dan friends team so but before we jump to that match I wanted to focus on the first matchup which Coach Dave Hunt will be jumping on a bus to, I imagine, like probably about an hour or so. But it's the yep. California Coastal Confrontation, Pepperdine versus UC Santa Barbara in Columbus. What is How about that? that alliteration right there? <laughs> California Coastal Confrontation in Columbus, the four C's. <laughs> yeah, sounds kind of bad. Oxymoron of a year. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about what can be happening in this match. And Dave, I don't expect you to give up any secrets, but. Uh, you know, just the, you know, whatever you guys want to throw out there in regards to this matchup, what to look for. You might even help Dave. He may be like watching, looking for your guys' notes. Who knows? Yeah, I'm going to take some notes. That's good. Yep. <laughs> so uh, who wants to take a stat? Jay, you looking? Yeah, serve and pass. The name of this game is serve and pass. And 
you know, Santa Barbara's got a couple guys that bring some heat from behind the line, and Pepperdine's got a couple guys as well. How well each one can control the other with either off the serve or serving them off the net is going to really determine who's going to be uh, successful at the end of the night. Santa Barbara's scrappy. They're a, a, a smaller little team with some ball control. They can do some good things. Pepperdine uh, has got a couple of guys in that team that control the ball really well. I mean, we talk about Wickens all year long. Kids, he's a transitioned libero to an outside hitter. And we all would love to have an extra passer out there that can keep the ball in control and, and still put the ball away. That's going to be, to me, the key for tonight to watch is who is doing the best job behind the service line and receiving the serve. It, it, the team that does the best of those two things, that's going to be the, the winner tonight. Anything to add, Dan? Yeah, I, my, I would think whoever transition kills. I think they're going to serve fast and equate each other out. Uh, now, certainly if they don't, then that's going to play dividends. But I think you, you're going to see who can transition score points in this game because there's going to be some extended rallies, some long rallies, and who's finding a way to put the ball away in these extended rallies. Uh, it's going to turn these points when it matters, when it's in the late teens to early 20s. And uh, that, I think that's going to be pretty key because I think these guys both have some remarkable ball control and setters that do a great job. And uh, I think who's going to find a way to score those points when it matters. Yeah. You know, from, from my standpoint, I look at it, it, to me, it's like a old guard versus new guard because Santa Barbara's got some COVID seniors, four of them that are on that starting lineup and they're good. Um, and, and they work very well together. Their chemistry is, is incredible, but uh, Pepperdine's got some really good young talent. You know, they've got Bryce DeVore. I got Setter. He's been playing really well. Jacob Steele, who's a really, I mean, he's, if it's not Jacob Steele, it's Spencer Wickens leading the stats for you guys offensively. So, you know, I'm wondering if nerves could play into it tonight being that this is a first championship for some of those guys hey Dave how many guys do you have from the 19 team wow <sighs> not many yeah no uh, Noah and, and Spence both split at libero that that at the end of that year and then Jacob was on that roster um but did not play he read he's actually you don't realize that he's a COVID freshman this year he's a third year COVID freshman so <laughs> Uh, we're really playing with four freshmen out there. People don't realize that, yep. um, but not, yeah, it's almost a completely new roster for us. So I agree with Rob, you know, so for both teams, this is Santa Barbara's first time here with that group. Uh, our group, it's their first time. And I think both teams are relatively similar. There's probably six liberos or guys that could play libero on the court, right? Santa Barbara has, you know, any of those guys could fill in at libero for them, you know, either one of their outside hitters. So, I think we have the same thing. So there'll probably be, you know, about 80 digs, you know, per side and then some low hitting efficiencies because I don't think either team will hit the ball out much, but there'll be long rallies. And I think both teams will serve in about 85%. So we'll see. So Dave, you're saying a third year freshman, you're going the BYU route of trying to get young guys that are old guys on your team. Nice. I'm going. I'm getting all the COVID guys and anyone that wants to transfer. You know, that's uh, grad school. <clears throat> yep. I got six grad school guys next year. So nice. Um, yeah, <laughs> we'll figure it out. And Marv's going to be their advisor in grad school, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. They'll be getting a master's in coaching and it'll all work out. So. <laughs> now, the winner of tonight's match will face the number one seed, Hawaii, in the semis on Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific daytime, daylight time. So, um, Dave Hunt, good luck tonight against Rick, who is, was just named the ABCA coach of the year, by the way. So congratulations to Rick.
who was on last week bantering with us. So uh, you know, we didn't want to have them both at the same time because they'd be throwing curse words at each other in a more family-friendly show. So <laughs> let's go to our next matchup, which is going to happen at five today, which goes to uh, Dan Brandon's Lewis Flyers. Uh, they're the number four in the country. So 8 p.m. 8. Is it? Eight here, but five where Rob is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry, I'm, I'm Pacific biased. So, uh, and they Come play uh, Mark Pavlik, which who was also on the special edition of uh, College Volleyball Weekly last week of Penn State. So, um, Dan, you can have your hands full tonight because, you know, between uh, Bogner, Wildman, and, you know, our favorite uh, outside now, they're, they're Oppo. Oh, my gosh, I mean, his name is escaping. Fisher. Oh, Fisher. 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 You got it. You're going to have your hands full. <laughs> Yeah, I would, I would agree with you, but uh, I'll let the other two guys go first versus me. Yeah, so. oh, yeah, for sure. I, I'll go first since I'm, I, I played Penn State uh, a week ago. You know, here's the thing. Penn State all year long has really been relying upon Fisher and Wildman. And, uh, you know, they've had a couple of couple other guys here and there that have had some decent nights. But, you know, the fact remains, those are still the two guys that they're going to go to the most when the crunch time matters. They have uh, one of the best setters in the country, Cole Bogner, running the show. Here's where I think the rubber is going to meet the road tonight. If Penn State remains a two-headed monster, I think Lewis is a better blocking team than obviously Belmont Abbey and, and probably better than anybody else in, in our conference. I'm not so sure that those two can keep up that pace for that long. I think Cole has got to get a few other guys involved his middles, and even the announcers last night, kudos to the, to the announcers last night, by the way. They did a fantastic job of actually knowing what volley, men's volleyball looks like and how it's supposed to work. They talked about the middles at Penn State and being non-existent. Uh, on the average, two sets per set. I mean, that's, that's fairly low. Uh, and if those guys don't keep uh, being involved uh, at some form or fashion and Lewis just leaves them alone and focuses on the two guys that will matter the most, that's going to be a real problem for, for Penn State. They, they don't have uh, the ability to just rely upon those two players, especially now at this time of the year. You can do it in the early parts when you've got teams that maybe are not so good, not great blockers on the left side, whatever the case is. But as you start to move on in this tournament, there's some big teams that know how to block really, really well. I mean, you look at Coonan and, and, uh, and uh, Mitchum as a blocking duo. I mean, that's ridiculous. And I'm really excited to see what that is going to do against Wildman and Fisher. But if Lewis can't block them and they still remain that way and they, and they keep getting kills like they've been getting all year, well, then kudos to Penn State because that's still the best t uh, tandem team in the country that's crushing balls left and right. But I, mean, I, I, I think Lewis might have their number tonight if they don't get some other guys involved. That's my take. Yep. Dave, anything to add? Yeah, I, for me, from what I've seen on video, um, it's going to come down to serving and passing. And it seems like Penn State relies on the ability to serve the ball aggressively and in. Uh, and Lewis, when I've seen them, it's people don't realize it's not about passing the ball perfectly, specifically at this late in the season, because you're going to get knocked out of system. But can you keep it on your side? Can you put yourself in medium pass situations? And then can you take big rips from there? So um, when I'm talking about the serve pass game, I'm, I'm talking about Penn State's ability to serve in aggressively and then manufacture a few easy points, either on overpasses or, or free balls. And then for Lewis, can they just keep it in medium system on some of the tougher servers? And then uh, they have the weapons to, to kill the ball. And then can Penn State, from a block defense standpoint, um, slow them down in the middle and on the left? 
So, um, but both of those things, Penn State is trying to keep up with Lewis. It's uh, not Lewis trying to keep up with Penn State, in my opinion. So it's going to be uh, skewed a little bit towards Lewis. Any final thoughts, sir, Dan? I know you're, you're trying to hide some cards here. It's okay. We get it. <laughs> uh, I, I think they, they said a lot. I think like, the one thing with us is how do we adjust to Penn State speed? You know, I think there was only one or two teams in our conference that were going that fast. And Cole does a nice job of uh, running a pretty good tempo, even when he's off the net. And so uh, how do we adjust block defense-wise? And how quick do we make some adjustments as we see it live versus – and recreate it in our own gym or video or things like that. And I think uh, that'll be a big piece. Uh, certainly the surf pass is important. And uh, can we manage to where we can just attack? Because Kevin can find the middles at 10 or 12 feet. We can still set our middles at 10 or 12. And so, uh, but I do think, how do we deal with their speed? Uh, and then how do we pass? They got a couple guys who, that I think last night he surfed a couple balls that were 70 miles an hour, 71. And so, uh, but we got a couple guys who can surf. You know, Bouge can you know, he can light it up 68, 70 uh, in terms of serving. So they're going to have to pass a little bit of that too at the same time. And so but, yeah. I'm excited. It's always I, great match. We played them every single year since 94. I had no idea. Uh, I didn't think you, you wouldn't think maybe you were going to play this year because of the COVID stuff, but we found a way to play again uh, in terms of that, which is great. So <laughs> Rob, that's for me, that's going to be a key for both matches tonight is going to be, we've all played in conference or mainly in conference matches who can adjust to these new opponents, right? I think there's a certain rhythm, at least, you know, the MPSF, the, the upper echelon teams have big bangers and they go a lot of high ball and they got guys that are serving at 77 miles an hour. And now we're not going to see that tonight, you know, and conversely we'll do things that Santa Barbara, you know, hasn't seen in the big West and they're going to do things. And Dan's alluding to that, right? So Penn state goes real fast and maybe they haven't seen that. So who can adjust quickest and get on the same page with their system and tactics uh, to be able to respond to something they haven't quite frankly seen in over a year. <laughs> I feel like it's just an uh, analogy of what we're going through this time in history. Who can adjust, who can adapt to what's happening right now <laughs> with all this pandemic, who's not going to get a COVID positive test, you know? So uh, totally makes sense. You know, it's going to be adaptability, but I just wanted to add with, with uh, Lewis, you know, even before Bouget came back, he still had two pretty powerful offensive threats in, in Mitchum and Kunin. But when Bouget came in, it was Kunin and Bouget. So it's interesting to see how the team changed once Bouget got back. But even if, let's say, Penn State uh, stops one of your pins, you know, one of them, the other one's going to step up. So I feel like you've got enough weapons to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Penn State. So And Bouget's built like a linebacker. The kid's <laughs> going to run through some people. <laughs> So uh, with that, we uh, anything else to add that we may have missed, gentlemen, before you guys go to your matches? Uh, I just want to say thanks again, Rob. I think we, we talked about this before. A year ago, we were, we were not playing volleyball. We were, I was in my basement. You know what I mean? so, uh, <laughs> with your Boba Fett you know, mask. With my Boba Fett stuff. So, so <laughs> we're talking about All-Americans. We're talking about Coach of the Year. Shout out to Rick again. Um, and shout out to my assistant. He got assistant coach of the year, which was awesome. So Brian Johnwick is just a grinder. So way overqualified and we're uh, privileged to have, but just, a, it's great. We're here. It's great. We're talking about NCAA championships in Columbus and we're on this podcast and, uh, doing all these things and we're having the sport. And I know the beach championships are going on too, which is awesome, which is really great. And, uh, so certainly like that we're moving forward with the pandemic and putting ourselves on the spot to do all these things. Okay. 
Great way to end. Gentlemen, uh, first Dan and Dave, good luck tonight. Jay, hey, don't, don't uh, strain your bicep holding your food or your drink as you're watching from home. Or... <laughs> oh, heading out to golf right now. So uh, uh, who knows, maybe I'll contact each of you for some statements after your matches or after the conclusion of tonight. So be on the lookout for text, gentlemen. Hey, uh, I'm Robert Stroh for the Viral Volley Podcast with the College Volleyball Weekly, Dan of lewis Dave Hunter-Pepperdine, Jay Hosick of George Mason. Uh, looking forward to chatting, hopefully soon, after a conclusion of matches. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Viral Volley Podcast podcast. Be sure to follow Rob at Rob on the Mic on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or at robonthemic.com. Check you next time.
Hey y'all, thanks for listening to today's episode of the Viral Volley Podcast Podcast. Be sure to follow Rob at Rob on the Mic on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or at RobOnTheMic.com. Check you next time.